welcome to Write Good, the podcast that helps you write good. I'm R.S. Benedict. In this episode, we're talking about sex work, what writers get wrong, and how we can and should do better. Joining us is Mistress Snow, Ph.D. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, uh, thank you for inviting me. I am Mistress Snow. I uh, received my PhD in the humanities within the past like five years. And I, so last fall, I wrote an article that uh, ended up going semi-viral on Twitter entitled, I told my mentor I was a dominatrix and she rescinded her letters of recommendation. So in short, um, I told my mentor I was a dominatrix and uh, <laughs> she pulled her letters of rec. I, you know, I was on the academic job market last fall. Um, it was my, my fourth round on it. Um, last summer, I fell into some financial straits when, you know, summer teaching fell through. I'm an adjunct currently and have been for a while. So, you know, I did some, I returned to sex work to, uh, to make ends meet. Um, and I disclosed that to my, now former, obviously, right. <laughs> mentor who reacted disastrously and decided to just ab- abandon me entirely. Oof. And I really want to stress for for our listeners who might not be familiar with this, the academic job market is absolutely brutal. Adjuncting pays peanuts, and uh, those letters of recommendation are vitally important. It's kind of like the feudal system in a lot of ways. If you don't have those, you're fucked. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So when you apply for a tenure track job, you need minimum three letters of recommendation. She was number three. So, you know, I went to go apply and was like, oh, there, wait, where, where did Anne's go? Oh, shit. <laughs> she did not tell me she was going to rescind it. She just, you know, did yes. that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, senior professors have immense amounts of power over, over like adjuncts, over grad students, over people who are kind of new at it. There's, it's just rigid hierarchy like brutal hierarchy it is fucking rough (laughs) that's why you know offices like you know inclusion and equity exist and why title nine is gonna have their way with her now but that's besides the point Um, i've since been using my platform on twitter to talk about uh like labor issues within academia um class stratification within academia uh the you know plight of adjuncts as well as you know um like sex worker advocacy and you know i've been trying to use my anonymity to talk about things that an academic or a civilian might not want attached to their name (laughs) Mm, yeah yeah i can understand that yeah Well, thank you very much for joining us. And the reason I wanted you on is that a lot of pop culture, a lot of literature includes sex work or is about sex work or the protagonist or our studly male protagonist visits a sex worker, but sex work is featured in literature and pop culture quite a bit and has been since the very beginning. The Epic of Gilgamesh has a really important character who is a sex worker. She's the reason why Enkidu joins civilized humanity and creates the world's greatest bromance with Gilgamesh. But as with many real world things, a lot of writers just plain get it wrong. A lot of writers write inaccurately about it and often promote tropes that are kind of harmful or dishonest. And 
I think it's better to just write in ways that are honest and truthful and to avoid pushing stereotypes can, that can have some genuinely negative consequences on real world human beings. So for this episode, I wanna, we, I'd like to talk about what writers do wrong and how we can do better. So why don't we first start off with what writers do wrong? And why don't we start with something kind of blunt and a little bit heavy, which is something that people sometimes call the disposable sex worker trope. Yes. So, I mean, the disposable sex worker, right, is like um, a plot device when Mm -hmm. um, you need some kind of like nameless, faceless victim to propel the plot forward. um, Right. So just find, you know, like a dead hooker. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of, you know, and I was trying to think of examples of this before or earlier today. And I was having a lot of trouble uh, because that character or lack thereof is, you know, yeah, it's hard to even forgotten. to remember them. <laughs> right. You're not right. supposed to, cause it's not the point. And I mean, this like, cl- like clearly bleeds into real life when we see that, or we don't see that, I hope, but you know, serial killers, right. for instance, will disproportionately target sex workers because you know, no one's going to look for them. Right. And you know, there's an assumption that, one might only turn to sex work if one doesn't have a support system in place, which I mean is often the case, but therefore, you know, no one's going to be looking for this person. Uh, it can be just this nameless victim that you can, you know, project your fantasies of violence onto and move on. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Godfather movies, I want to say, had some of mm-hmm. these. Dexter season one had a bunch of those. The serial killer that he's sort of creating his fr- weird distant friendship goes after sex workers over and over again and until he goes after Dexter's sister, who's not a sex worker. So she's important because she's related to the main character. It's like, oh, no, this we got to stop. Like, OK. I want to say American Horror Story um, has done this as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe like season five, Hotel. Was that season? I think that was season five. Quite possibly. Yeah, yeah. No, but they're they're intended to be forgettable. Or like CSI, for instance. Oh, yeah. I was so into CSI when I was in high school. I like I had the box set of like (laughs) like DVDs. And yeah, there would so often just be a dead hooker. And the point is to find, you know, whoever killed her um, that that. That's who matters here, the murderer, not the victim. Yeah, the murderer or what the detective is going through. Right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, a detective will be like, oh, my, my long-lost daughter. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're a symbol, you're not, like, a person with feelings, and that's pretty fucked up. It's pretty fucked up to treat someone like that, I'm sorry. Oh, it absolutely- <laughs> I mean, and we see that with similarly, like, criminalized populations, like, like, uh, drug users right. are also, um, yeah, also tend to follow. And, and I mean, they, they tend to go hand in hand too, right? Like I'm thinking of that uh, Jack Kerouac novel, uh, shit, I forget the name, but I mean, it, it's about that this uh, prostitute with whom he had a relationship in, in Mexico City and she's also an addict. Or, you know, uh, Stephen Crane's Maggie, if I recall correctly, which I, ha- like, I haven't read that book since I was in college a thousand years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, Maggie ends up dying, like, 
spoiler alert, um, <laughs> this like fallen woman. Um, I think she's a drunk at that point. You know, the implication being that sex work is so horrible and dehumanizing that you have to self-medicate to right. keep on going. Um, right. Yeah, and and I, I mean, that has... I, I mean, you know, it's a chicken or the egg thing. Like, does that have real world consequences because of how we perceive sex workers? But, you know, we think right. Black Dahlia, for instance. I, mm. I, I want to say she was a sex worker. But, I mean, that may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure she... I'm, I'm almost positive she was. Where people will choose sex workers to experience... Like, you know, to, to work out their sadistic fantasies because they know mm. they can. Um, and, you know, we as a criminalized population can't quite go to uh, right. the police because, you know, that they'll say, oh, well, it was a theft of services or something like, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, a really quite dangerous, like, plot device that, that a lot of writers, I think, don't even consider because a lot of people don't even consider sex workers as people, right. as you know, people that like everyone knows a sex worker, right? Hmm. Everyone, even if you don't know it, right? Yeah. No, I'm. <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm like. I feel like I, I've been. I was teaching a class recently. And I mean, before you know the, the plague hit and said something like, "Well, everyone knows a sex worker," and my students were probably <laughs> like, "Well, I don't," and I'm <laughs> like giggling to myself, like, "Yes, you do. You're professors." Yeah. Or. or- yeah. <laughs> I mean, not necessarily someone your own age. For all you know, your aunt might have put herself through college uh, in in ways she did not tell you. I mean, people have have complex lives, and and I'm going to guess most sex workers don't tell their families and friends about that because people can get really judgmental. Uh, Yeah, as I learned the hard way with uh, my former mentor. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's illegal and it's stigmatized a lot, so it's it's not easy or safe to tell everybody, unfortunately. Yeah, well, it, you know, it, it is. Some of it is legal in a lot of states, like uh, well, that's Nevada. True. That's um, true. Prostitution is legal. Domination is legal in in a lot of areas. Stripping <laughs> is legal in a lot of areas. But even even still, you know, it doesn't matter right to yeah right yeah even even when even if it is legal, it, it's still like illicit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still stigmatized heavily. Um, right. Or like, you know, porn is legal, but yeah, but it's going to be hard going to a normal job interview or something. Or what about your family? Does your father know? Do you, does your wife know? Like, yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> no, my father doesn't know. Good no. Lord. <laughs> no. Yeah. He can but... watch something else. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. God. <laughs> but yeah, that's a certainly a, a really dangerous Right, right. right. I feel like some of these aren't necessarily dangerous, you know? Right. But just kind of an obnoxious cliche, like, oh, come on. Yeah, like, really? Like, (laughs) um, but but some other, like, some are stereotypes that are, like, annoying but harmless. But, you know, something like the disposable sex worker, that's... Yeah. Or, like, the evil whore, you know, that's a dangerous trope. Right. Well, what what is the evil whore trope? So the evil whore is essentially um, when a sex worker is portrayed as just a sadist, you know, who who likes to destroy men and steal their money, you know, like Black Widow kind of situation. See. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking of it's a uh, shoot. What is it? Steinbeck's East of Eden. Kathy slash Kate in that is just this like horrible evil whore who destroys men and, you know, eats right through them. 
uh, like a man-eater, I suppose. And of course, in these paradigms, the men are the innocent party here who are being taken advantage of. Or I'm thinking like, if you saw the film, uh, shit, what was it called? I hated this movie, Hustlers, was that it? The J-Lo movie Right, yeah, year? Hustlers, I think. Yeah, where these strippers will like drug men and take their money. Like these innocent men who are just going to objectify women and end up like, getting roofied <laughs> or whatever. Um, that I, I see as a, a really harmful stereotype in yeah. that it... This woman who provides a service for a job took money in exchange for that service? What the fuck? Yeah, and then, you know, <laughs> it's it's portraying the victim as, as the the client who right. generally in these exchanges has the power in the scenario, you know, like I, the fact that, that sex workers are predominantly women should speak to that. Like, yeah, the, these people are the like clients are not the victim here. Clients can be victimized certainly as we see in something like hustlers, but that just right. further demonizes sex workers as these sadistic man eating moralists like monsters. Mm. Right. Okay. Because that's one I hadn't seen very much, which is kind of interesting. Um, here's a trope that everybody's probably really familiar with: the so-called hooker with a heart of gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that one. I I kind of like secretly kind of like. Like. <laughs> I mean, at least it's like positive of her. She's a character. She's got feelings and a plot arc, and and she's sympathetic and stuff. She plays like a major role in the story a lot of time. Yeah. So I mean the. I guess the the dichotomy there is that she has this sordid past, but is now atoning or that or, um, you know, she's seen a lot of the world and therefore has this like exceptional insight into humanity or the what's the word I'm looking for? What's that? Shit, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm like, what's that thing that my students always put in papers that like infuriates me? Human condition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think of like, uh, I mean, Mary Magdalene, right? Oh, of course. And of course, I mean, like, oh God, I got so irritated on Easter this year um, with the the discourse. Like, was Mary Magdalene really? a sex worker or I mean you know that's anachronistic we wouldn't say sex worker but was she a prostitute or not right um and you know I feel like asking the question itself is kind of anti-sex worker because to announce like no she she wasn't a prostitute that's inaccurate like well then what what's the problem if she was a prostitute like Right. What's wrong with that? Um, but like insisting that she was also like ascribes some weird kind of morality to sex work, you know? Right, right. Um, yeah, and or uh, like some kind of veracity to someone who's had to like again with a yeah, it's like seen who's had to see some shit or whatever. Mm. It's almost like a like a more pleasant, I find, relative of the like the rape victim who emerges stronger, you know? Mm. Um, and this one's a little bit more cheerful in a way. Of course, the other examples I'm thinking of like are the opposite of cheerful, right? Like Sonia right. and, uh, um, yeah, like Sonia. But, and, you know, I haven't read Crime and Punishment since fucking high school, but uh, is she not the, the voice of reason or morality rather right. for Raskolnikov and like convinces him to... Come give up his and, cruel yeah. ways and confess and atone right. and all that good stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Versus her, Spitzer guy loves her father, right? Mm, 
I have not read that book in a million years. I remembered nothing. Everybody had like 12 names. I forgot all of them. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Russia, too many nicknames. I can't handle that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where she, you know, her her like dastardly father. I want to say it's Spidrigailov. Maybe Spidrigailov just hires her. I can't fucking remember. But, you know, as opposed to these like men who fail their families. Um, these women kind of step up. We see that in Maggie, too, the, the Crane novel, where uh, this character, you know, her her family won't support themselves, so she will. This kind of, what's the word for when you're like a martyr? That's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, it's the hooker with a heart of gold, too. We see Satine, right, in Moulin Rouge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, and, and the fact that they're hookers, use you know the the trope term um is always like a point of contention for our like innocent right. male i'm not a client um, right character right? right like doesn't um that dick bag in moulin rouge like throw wads of money at satine to say like thank you for your service like bringing <laughs> up with you even though like he was never her client <laughs> which is such a slap in the face <laughs> right. right yeah yeah, and I mean, the hooker with a heart of gold thing also tends to portray the client poorly. Um, right. and I mean, client, like, I mean, I don't have the most sympathy for her clients all the time. <laughs> I mean, I, there's some, like, wonderful clients whom I, you know, enjoy, but... Well, I mean, it's like customers, right? I mean, if you're uh, doing any customer service job, you probably aren't terribly fond of a lot of your customers. Oh, God. When I waited tables, it wasn't like, man, I sure love this guy who puts his latte on a kitchen scale to see if I made it dry enough for him. That guy's fucking great. So glad he's here again. Right? Like when I worked retail, I'm saying, oh, I love Ugh. the dude who waits until my shift is over so he can ask me out outside. Ew. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> fucking Christ. But yeah, I mean, the hooker with a heart of cold, I feel like dehumanizes the sex worker in the opposite direction in that mm. it, it, it kind of elevates her to like a not supernatural or not like goddess level, though that is also right. dehumanizing. But you know, it, um, it, how do I say? I know, into, it, almost like yeah. a Jiminy Cricket, like a sexy Jiminy <laughs> Cricket. Right? Yeah. Well, it's like putting someone on a pedestal. There's, there's not a lot of room to move around at the top of a pedestal. And if you try to move around too much, you fall and you break your fucking leg. So it's kind of like that, like, oh, she she's good, but only under these circum- cer- certain circumstances. This Only if this wasn't a really a chosen profession, only if she doesn't really enjoy it, she just has to do it, and only if what she really wants is our pure-hearted hero, and she, oh, I just want to leave this life and be with you. And, exactly, and, like, ultimately these characters end up either, like, le- leaving sex work so like a uh, uh, pretty woman right right uh, julia roberts character she just leaves it or dying like right fatigued. yeah right. there's no like staying in <laughs> i mean no... maybe becoming like a madam or something right but no... yeah but i like my job i get to travel i make shit loads of money what right <laughs> <laughs> it's like well yeah no but now you're gonna be with a man who makes you yeah. not need that anymore. now i'm gonna be with your boring ass wife fuck that i don't know yeah uh-uh. <laughs> yeah so i mean no that's another one um that that just that could just get you know frustrating 
Right. Um, almost like a manic pixie dream girl, kind of. Yeah, it is a very idealized version of it, too, where a lot of times the hooker with a heart of gold never actually seems to work. Right? Yeah, you like, don't see her. Never yeah. like, thanks, I, I like you a lot, but I can't meet Friday. I got I got a job to do. There, there's never, she's always endlessly available and almost like virginal. Oh, yeah, which, yeah, yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's like she she only has sex when it's, you know, at work. Right. Which is something that is uh, just endlessly irritating when clients, and clients, expect, well, I mean, I get this most from clients, I guess, probably because I interact, like I have this kind of conversation with clients most, but right. when they assume that your work is also your personal sex life. No. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, well, is this turning you on? And I'm like, nah, man, like, you sucking on the heel of my foot is not turning me on. Why the fuck would you ask me that? No. like, <laughs> It's like the guy who thinks the barista's really in love with him, only, like, way more so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, there was this great documentary, Live Nude Girls Unite, and... It was about peep show dancers unionizing, and I remember one of them saying, you know, they chat with the clients, they have a conversation, and one of the most common questions they get asked is, what do you do for a living? And they're like, I, you're, you're looking at it, dude. I'm not here for fun. I'm not here for your, I'm not here for my health. Come on. Oh my God, I, I hate <laughs> when I walk into a session and I'm like, okay, so like, or, you know, in, a, in like a meet, and I'm like, so, okay, so what do you like, what would you like to do? And they're like, whatever you want, mistress. Like what I want is for you I to wear sweatpants and watch TV. Let's yeah, do I want that. you to give me your wallet and I want you to put your pants back on and walk the fuck out of here. That's what I want. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and like half the time they, they do know what they want. They just don't want to tell you. So you have to do this like fucking <sighs> like guessing game. Uh, God, <laughs> 20 uh, questions. Uh, like, is this good? No. Uh, oh, uh, wow. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, they say they went cock and ball torture and then like 35 attempts later, you find out that they just wanted like a hand job. And then you're like, man, like you want, you should have gone to massage parlor. Number one, it would be cheaper, like a lot cheaper. <laughs> but number two, like, ugh, no. Ugh. Ugh. God. Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, the stereotype is like women never come out and say what they want. Men are so straightforward, but... Oh, not God, really? No. no, no. Well, I mean, you know, I have had women clients and I've had like not binary clients and couples and stuff, but mm. like fucking men, cis men, cis <laughs> men. Ugh. Oh, gosh. Anyway, so we've got the the two polar opposites of like evil and then heart of gold. What about the fallen woman? And I guess that does kind of tie into the heart of gold a little or a little bit. There's some overlap. Well, The Fallen Woman, I find this one is also kind of a, it, it's, it's a, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of obviating, precluding, that's it. Um, like, what are my GRE words? Precluding um, the sex worker stigma in a way, because it's presenting this uh, rationale in and in and of itself for why the character is doing sex work. So like, oh, they they were forced to do it to feed their child or whatever, like Fontaine in Les Miserables, right? She uh, is kind of forced into sex work by circumstance. And, um, and we see her, you know, when she sings I Dream to Dream, um, just like emaciated and, and, you know, she sold all her hair and like th this sex work is just one of many like 
terrible things that have come about generally as a response to poverty or um, as a way of navigating mm. poverty. Right. Um, and that too still perpetuates the stigma of sex work as shameful or sex work as a last resort, which, you know, right. it often is a last resort. For me personally, it was a last resort, like when I had to do it last summer. But right. it, yeah, furthers this, this stigma that the only reason that one would do sex work is because she has to or because she is uh, like morally bankrupt. Right. And it's interesting how how that's only when it applies to women like i did know a guy who oh yeah was uh, basically a sex worker so i lived in china for a few years and uh, a western man is considered particularly attractive so there was this western guy an american guy who was like tall blonde fit who was basically like a sex worker for wealthy chinese women and because they were just pay he had a bunch of sugar mamas i guess and it was oh, fucking awesome dream. for him yeah he was <laughs> And of course, everybody was just like, dude, bro, how'd you fucking do it? How'd you do it? Like, everyone was super envious of him, which granted, I mean, he's fucking hitting the male jackpot. But like, I, I, I could not imagine that seeing that the reverse of, I don't know, a Western woman who's working as a sex worker with a bunch of like wealthy Chinese sugar daddies being like, you poor thing. Oh, no. And not like fucking high five, girl. Yeah, exactly. Like I've I've sugared before. That shit is fucking miserable. Like I <laughs> sugaring I find to be the most difficult of the different like branches of sex work, right? Because it so resembles a romantic relationship. So mm. like setting boundaries in a sugaring relationship is near impossible. It's oh, I can see the that. The worst. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I fucking hate it. Oh, uh, God, I, I remember. Because I've seen, like, naive people being like, oh, I would love to have a sugar daddy. It sounds so great. And I'm like, are you sure about that? It sounds super hard. It's so hard. The emotional labor is, like, next level. I remember I had a client ages ago who, when I was sugaring, <laughs> who compared my, and I, I never ended up having sex with him because of this. Um, wow. Well, and who knows if I would have otherwise. But he, he compared my insistence on using a condom to rape. He was like, I did not consent. What? I did not consent to a condom. Oh my God. <laughs> right? Oh, like, that is the grossest bro, thing. What? Yeah, no, yeah, I remember he blocked my number when I was like, are you fucking nuts? <laughs> like, Holy fucking shit. Yeah, yeah, sugaring is so difficult. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's next level. It is next fucking level. But um, I guess I remember, you know, in college, I, I would, or I would hear women in grad school, too, be like, oh, it'd be so great to have a sugar daddy. I'm going to go on seeking arrangement or whatever. But none right. of them would ever follow through. Maybe they go on a date or two. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You talk to the guy for an hour and you're like, oh, my fucking God, no amount of money is worth this. I can't deal with this guy. This guy sucks so much. You see his teenage girls as the background on his phone and you're Ew. like, oh, my God, I'm 20. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> This is too awkward. I gotta leave. Yeah. I, I don't want to listen to this guy mansplain why music was better when he was young. Oh my god. I don't I don't oh need god. to listen to your old man opinions. I the just the club scene back in like the nineties or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no thank you. <laughs> oh, no, so much more work. But oh god, getting off topic again. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> but but the main thing is that because so much of literature is this male voice and often like a straight male voice or an or affluent male the voice. The literature that we actually read, the right. that's the been admitted into the canon. Right. The quote unquote important literature. 
I mean, you're you're not seeing this through the eyes of the sex worker. You're seeing it through the eyes of an observer, maybe a, maybe a client, or maybe yeah, you know, like maybe a client, or in general, just someone who hasn't been through that life, and someone who, unfortunately, like many people in society, has been kind of socialized to not really see these as as people. Right, right, <laughs> right. We think like, oh, I don't know, I don't know someone who would have like, no, you do you do <laughs> yeah yeah and this sort these sort of cultural stereotypes influence your thinking they influence your writing and that can i think influence other people for the worse i mean some of the some writing can perpetuate these unfortunate myths like uh there's a very all or nothing portrayal of sex workers a lot uh there's either the oh i'm just here purely for funsies and not like it's a job, or we're all trafficking victims. Like, right, right. Oh my god, right. <laughs> and, and, you know, I guess I was kind of downplaying the importance of this, but, you know, representation does really matter. I'm thinking of, like, you know that show Glee from, like, forever ago? Um, right. Which, I, like, I didn't watch it, so I don't know what I'm talking about, but I do remember there was a study I read where... Uh, homophobic people who who watched Glee reported being like, twenty or like sixty percent or something of them reported being more sympathetic and more mm-hmm. uh, to LGBTQIA people after right. watching the show. So like representation does entirely construct how we perceive these people, especially when we're convinced that we don't know any real sex workers. Right, right, of course. It's easier to demonize someone when you haven't, when you don't know one, personally. Right, or when you think you don't know one. (laughs) Or when you think you don't know one, yeah. Well, again, like like with homophobia, it's easier to demonize gay people when you don't realize that your cousin, who's a super nice guy, is one of those people. Right, (laughs) right. I try to, to emphasize that when I'm teaching any, like, particularly fraught text you know like before you open your mouth consider that you know statistically there is certainly a rape survivor in the classroom right now so you better not say any fucked up shit or i'm gonna kick you out (laughs) right right absolutely um now you mentioned too uh that a lot of this work stigmatizes clients or gives an unrealistic idea of who's a what who becomes a sex worker who becomes a client um we've talked a little bit about why or how people become sex workers and why maybe they don't like something i have noticed that in in pop culture sex workers are always thin and of the sex work people i know who've done sex work most of them aren't skinny no no well then i mean they're either thin or there's like the bbw right right but yeah, no, that, that's another, and white sex workers are often portrayed as either a white or like right. Southeast Asian, right? Mm. You know, the, whatever we uh, perceive as like delicate, you know? Right. But, yeah, and, and like the type of sex work that these characters will do often tends to be racialized. Um, like mm. I'm thinking of media representations of black women sex workers are often like mm. street sex workers right right versus uh white women will see working in a house or working um like in a parlor or a, a dungeon asian right. women as well you'll see uh I, I find maybe not and i'm like i don't watch porn not because of any judge i just don't find it particularly titillating right. if you will um, but, <laughs> um as far as like sex workers that i see in other 
other media, um, Asian women are overrepresented in BDSM, Hmm. whether as dominant or submissive. And I mean, you know, I haven't like done this research, so I'm not like, don't quote me on these like stereotypes, which is what they all are. Of course. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, even then, all of these women are portrayed as skinny. And right. if they're not, then it's played for laughs. Right. Like, what? Someone paid to have sex with that? What? what? Right. Like, or like, I'm thinking, you know, like the, uh, the woman in Borat. <laughs> Oh, I never saw that one. Oh my god, it's it's so good, it's so bad, <laughs> but it's so good. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's played for laughs. Like, oh, look at that, like disgusting fat crack whore, which also doesn't make any sense because I'm like, yo, if you're doing crack, you're probably gonna. Be yeah, you're famous. probably not chunky at all. You're not no. eating much. <laughs> uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I'm. I mean, the point is, they're either unattainably beautiful or monstrously disgusting. Right. Yeah, yeah. But what about the kind of person who's a client? Because very often, as you did mention, uh, in, um, in, in pop culture, the people who go to sex workers are gross, creepy, yucky people, especially I, I've noticed in pop culture, the kind of people who go to uh, a dungeon, who go to a dom are usually these like pathetic little Woody Allen types. Awful. Little Woody Allens are just like kind of repulsive people. It's never like a really handsome guy who's into it or just like a normal guy who's into it. I remember we would, uh, whenever we'd get like a, like a hot client at the dungeon, we call it like hot for the dungeon. We'd be like, oh, no, no, he's dungeon cute. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, the assumption is that is that clients are going to sex workers because they need to pay someone to fuck them. And they can't get laid otherwise, which just isn't just isn't the the case. I'm thinking um, I, I like I have a, a fuck buddy in my personal life. Um, <laughs> really quite quite attractive, um, and goes to sex workers constantly just because he really likes having sex a lot. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, <laughs> Why do you pay for sex? I enjoy it. I, I don't know what else to tell you. And I'm like, I mean, like, he and I will hook up for free. But uh, <laughs> yeah. it, that's the the issue there, I think, um, is it, it shames clients. It makes clients mm-hmm. feel, like, yeah, pathetic for, for visiting a sex worker when, like, I mean, or I think of a lot of clients who come to see doms think that, mm-hmm they're somehow superior to someone who might go see an escort because like, oh, well, you know, they're married, but they're coming to see a dom because they have some specific kink. They don't want to tell their wives. Mm. Um, And I'm like, no, that doesn't make you like better. That just makes you a liar. Yeah. It just makes you bad at communication with your spouse. You don't know that she wouldn't be into it, dude. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know how many board housewives are reading fucking Fifty Shades? Oh, Fucking bring it up. She might be into it. Yeah, no, I've, I've had that conversation with so many clients. Like, well, why haven't you told your wife that you like having yeah. cigarettes put out on your tongue? And he's like, I don't know, Mistress Mall. <laughs> I think she might think I'm weird. Like, do you know how many women right now are reading books about, like, fucking werewolves? Come on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Women are way weirder and hornier than men realize. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Also, like, I mean, some some fetishes I love because they're so easy on my end, like foot fetishes. 
I just have to like fucking sit there and make like 200 bucks and just sit there. Nice. Right? So I'm like, (laughs) yeah, if your wife doesn't want to fuck you, but you want to fuck her feet, like that sounds excellent to me. (laughs) But but yeah, no, there's this, this, this assumption, assumption that if someone is seeing a sex worker, it's because they can't get someone to fuck them in real life. And that's right. Not only is that inaccurate and uh not only does that contribute to clients feeling reluctant to see sex workers which which sucks for me because you know Mm. i got bills to pay Um, but you know if if there's an encounter with a sex worker that's actually quite like lovely then um that functions to kind of dampen it Mm. in in the real world you know i think of like there might be some sessions that i actually enjoy um, like there are some sessions I find like really fun or I know they're cathartic for a client and that like makes me feel pretty good. And then when I have someone like, for example, my shitty former mentor blowing up my inbox, telling mm-hmm. me how, like how I'm a bad whore who will never get a tenure track job or whatever, um, <laughs> that yeah, yeah, no, fucking bitch, um, <laughs> that impacts how I feel about it. Like it, it's not just. Right. Kind of, it's, it's not just isolated in these media representations. Um, or I think of like, the legalization versus decriminalization debate of how to like deal with sex workers in the United States, at least I know best because like I'm American. Um, But like the Nordic model, for instance, criminalizes clients, but not providers, which of course, like, I mean, it literally criminalizes criminalizes clients, but it also ends up, it ends up, you know, leading to further violence against Sex oh, workers. I can see because they got to protect their secret or whatever. To right. Avoid. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Where criminalization or um, where I'm sorry, legalization ends up. But, and I'm, now, now I'm like talking myself into circles and confusing my terms. What was I? Oh, uh, the Nordic model. That's legalization. Right. Where that ends up actually ultimately further harming sex workers. Because, you know, we still live under this, like, capitalist patriarchal hellscape. Any legislation that's going to police women's bodies or sexualized bodies right. in any way is ultimately going to uh, be at their own expense. Right. Um, which, you know, starts from these representations that we see. Right. It right. also, yeah, now I'm, like, getting on a roll. Um, <laughs> you know, and it, it pathologizes clients as well by implying, like, oh, you know, they're so weird. They have to go to a dom. Um, yeah. You know, it, it wasn't that it wasn't that long ago that sadomasochism was in the DSM, right? Like mm. these have real world consequences. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> and and I mean, we've been talking mainly about misogyny, but for the queer community, the consequences are really, really heavy. Just because sex work is a much is a really big, it's big in the queer community too for for various reasons. Oh, oh, um, oh, yeah. Well, and it will discourage, uh, and I mean, I would say with women, because, you know, I, right. like, if I'm going to encounter queer people at work, it's going to be people who are interested in women, <laughs> right? Um, uh, but discourages them from seeing sex workers, because they think it's not for them, or they think that, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten lots of DMs from, uh, especially older women, who will say, like, mm-hmm. hey, I'd really like to see an escort, or I'd really like to see a dom, but... 
will they see women? You think they'll see women? Like, I don't really know how to ask because I'm a woman. And I'm like, yo, half of the sex workers I know are lesbians, number one. Number two, <laughs> the ones who aren't are like, are, like, we love when women come in. You're so much more respectful. <laughs> we have so much more fun. Um, you know what a boundary is. <laughs> like, but because it's so uh, stigmatized, it's it's even more rare you know aside from the fact that women are less likely to have a disposable income <laughs> right 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 yeah yeah stigma all around just it just adds up harming yeah. women and and queer people yeah yeah definitely so we've talked a lot about how people get it wrong so why don't we talk a little bit about how writers could get it better and i think the biggest thing is nuance just yeah nuance and complexity that there's such a tendency to stick people into these very discreet little categories or you're all this or you're all that you're a virginal hooker with a heart of gold or you're an evil money taking man eater or this or that and you're you're a victim or you're just a monster and the world is so much bigger than villains and victims yeah (laughs) so I find um, in like, you know, the uh, portrayals of sex workers I've seen and appreciated, um, something that they tend to have in common is that there is no preoccupation over why the character um, went into sex work, you know, by just presenting this character as a sex worker and not, you know, first as a civilian and then tumbling into sex work or, you know, seeing you know, someone like get their tuition bill or whatever, just starting in medias rest, I find kind of, yeah, obviously a question. And then, you know, as a viewer, as a viewer, I mean, you might be sitting there thinking like, well, why did she do sex work anyway? Why didn't she just become a bartender? But you know, a narrative that resists that question and refuses to entertain it, I find Mm -hmm. tends to peel away at some of these uh, stereotypes and just avoid them entirely. Hmm. So okay. I'm think I'm thinking of like um, Cam, which is a film from I want to say 2018. Um, I did a, I was on Horror Vanguard. That right, time. it's a Netflix horror movie, I think. Oh yeah, no, it's 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 excellent. Um, but the the protagonist is a cam girl, and she just starts out as a cam girl. There's no like, well, why did you go into this instead and, of into hairdressing yeah. or whatever? And therefore, let me have the... a flashback and show you my tragic childhood that exactly. led me to this. Yeah. <laughs> and then the viewers like less likely to ask. It's it's just not even a question. And that takes care of a lot of the a lot of these these issues. It just avoids them entirely. Right. Um and I'm guessing that one really important thing to keep in mind, which some something that I think a lot of writers inexplicably forget, is that sex work is work emphasize on work with all that entails that can mean labor issues that can mean i don't know overwork that can mean work-related stress i mean any kind of job has some sort of work-related stress with it as you mentioned sex work has a lot of freaking emotional labor oh lord yeah or like i mean the mundane details of it i find are, are important to include so i think of like you know, when I would go in for a dungeon shift, like when I worked at, I mean, obviously I'm not working now because there's a goddamn plague outside, but um, right. when I worked at a dungeon, um, I would have, you know, an eight hour shift and I would come in and I'd, you know, like sit in the, the like dom room and wait, right, you know, for a client mm-hmm. to come in and I would bring in my grading 
you know, and I, I'd be like sitting there grading student essays and, um, God, I remember getting into endless arguments with the managers at my one place because it was so hard to grade in the girls' room because there would always be like movies on or like we'd be playing card games or whatever. And I like would need to focus and we'd have we had a classroom dungeon. So I'd be like, Can I just go sit in there and grade? <laughs> like nice. depending on the manager, they'd like let me or they wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's but like great. boring shit like that. Or like when we finish a session, we have a bunch of paperwork to sign. Huh. Like that's Something that, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily think of. No, I, yeah, that's never a part of, of part of the movies. You, you, where the dom fills out a bunch of forms, stamps oh, yeah. it. Yeah, I had to. I think there were like three different ones I had to sign, or like, you know, I had to scan out each of the like tools that I took. So if I was taking like a whip, it had a barcode. Huh. Yeah, like. <laughs> yeah like a really mundane things um which of course you're probably you're only going to know if you talk to a sex worker which is why sensitivity readers exist (laughs) right i yeah i guess i can see that because i mean how many people walk home with pens or whatever from the office and like those are super cheap like yeah walking home with office equipment slipping it in your purse we've all done it yeah, we've, we've all we've walked all with, like, done it. a chastity device in our purse or whatever. For God's yeah, getting it are a little bit pricier than a couple of shitty big pens. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like, God, I rem- I would get so mad to if I like got a tip when I was walking a client out and I put it in my pocket. And then before I left, I'd change because I'm not going to, you know, leave go and go back into the world wearing like a leather skirt and a bodysuit and then I'd get outside and be like fuck I left my tip in my pocket and my skirt is in my locker uh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so these little like when we think of it as work you know if if we have a scene of someone coming to work their shitty fast food job you're gonna see them clock in that's like we see that, that that's such a common uh scene especially like tv shows from like the the 80s and 90s right where you'll, you'll see someone like punch the clock yeah you clock in you put on your apron you gossip with your co-worker you complain oh, another day another dollar yeah exactly or like complain oh about the boss how much like, he sucks kevin is here yeah 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 exactly exactly yeah uh that that often that doesn't really get explored at all and i mean of course in a lot of media representations sex workers aren't really working in a house necessarily um, or if they are, we tend to see it from the client's perspective. Uh, other, I'm thinking the only other portrayal I can think of off the top of my head is in Killing Eve. When, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you've seen that, but uh, Villanelle, the one protagonist, uh, works as a sex worker in two separate episodes and then hides out in, a, in an Amsterdam brothel in another. Um, so you kind of see it from the other side. Hmm. And actually, in, in you know what? Actually, in Killing Eve, I now remember... They they do have uh, her clock in. They have her, like, give her name. Hmm. Yeah, and that that's really... I mean, they must have, like, actually talked to a sex worker when they were, <laughs> you know, writing the scene. But yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a job, like any other job. Right. I mean, not like any other job, but that's be- because we have these stereotypes. Right, right. Well, any job has its own unique, I guess, challenges or its own unique stresses. Um, yeah, yeah. Like one of my favorite things to do when I was at the dungeon would be when I was cleaning up after a session, I'd like take a bunch of selfies because I thought it would look it was so funny that I'd be in this like 
full on Dom gear with like a full right. face of makeup and then have these like gloves and like Windex and like moss right. or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I was thought that was hysterical. But yeah, no, focusing on on any anything you might focus on for portraying another kind of like wage labor position. Right, right. And and I think in the in the instance of this one emotional labor I know we've touched on it before is I think a lot bigger than what people realize it is. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The emotional labor. Well, because, you know, people are so we're so puritanical that people don't want to or don't right. have the language to or don't feel comfortable talking openly about sex and sexuality and their desires. So you have to intuit quite a lot, which yeah. can be fucking exhausting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, people people have a lot of hangups about sex and sexuality that you you just don't know. Um, and then, you know, you find it out the hard way when you <laughs> start to do something or bring up something it, with a client and they like recoil. And so, yeah, the right. emotional labor is just right. Right. next level. Right. Like when I was and this is when I was waiting tables, you'd have to deal with everybody's anxieties about food. Because oh. people, women especially, have a lot of anxieties about like food and calories and this and that. And it's like, I, I just wanted to bring you a sandwich. I did not sign up to like give you counseling and soothe you through your emotions about this sandwich, dude. I, I did not sign like like that only like I'm guessing way more so. Yeah. Or like when I worked retail, I'd have so many women who women, especially men as well, but mostly women who would have hangups about their size. And I have to be like, no, you're beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) This is not my job. I am not getting paid $9 an hour for this shit. Yeah. I'm not a body image counselor. I'm not paid enough. Right. Do you want the pants? Right. Well, and I I mean, I have students do this too, but I don't mind it when students do it because I do consider that part of the job. And also I like students. (laughs) But yeah, no, clients. And then when they want to be reassured that, you know, they're not just clients or they're not like other clients or, oh. um, you know, you're not doing this just for the money, are you? You're doing it because you love it. And right. you'll be like, yeah, I just, you know, I love just sticking my hand in men's butts. That's something I truly would do for free. No, it's not. Yeah. It's not something I would do for free. Um, yeah, guy, that barista really loves you. Oh, yeah. It- like, I know you paid for the latte, but the real reason she's giving it to you is that she really fucking loves you. And that's why the foam on top looks like a heart. It's a true expression <laughs> of her feelings. to the craft of, yeah, yeah barista-ing, whatever the fucking verb is. <laughs> yeah. I just love making lattes so much. It's such a dream calling. about it. Yeah, it's my passion. No, it's, yeah, okay. <laughs> And you know, the only, I feel like the, the only laborers who, who, or workers who get, who are expected to have some kind of deep passion for their craft are right. sex workers, artists, and teachers. Right, right, right. Like, oh, you love it so much, you'll do it for free, right? Like, uh, no, and that's why we have a paucity of voices. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, only the independently wealthy can, you know, go into academia, for instance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> goddamn. Yep. Uh, it is the worst (laughs) it is kind of interesting though like 
people do stigmatize uh, sex work in particular and talk about how exploitative it is and how like soul crushing it is. It's like, okay, have you ever fucking worked as a, as a waitress? Like that was pretty soul crushing. And you get sexually harassed a hell of a lot in that job anyway, as a waitress. Oh yeah. There's so much. Like fast food. Yeah. Yeah. Or fucking academia. I mean, if you want to talk about like an ex- a, a labor practice, uh, an industry that exploits people, like holy fucking shit, academia. Oh yeah, it just rings you out. <laughs> yeah, it is so bad. Oh god, it's yeah, it's fucking horrible. Yeah, and you know, you know, half the sh- if I do ever, or if I did ever feel shame about sex work, and I don't really, and I never did, but mainly in corresponding with my, thank God now former mentor it wouldn't right. even be the sex work as much as it would be like oh you're doing sex work means that you failed as an academic <sighs> right <laughs> like the amount of time you're supposed to put in to adjuncting or being a phd getting a phd it's like there's what does not leave you with a schedule that would accommodate many professions right so it's like unless you find a you somehow find a retail job that lets you work 10 hours a week and pays your rent you know <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. no it's yeah. it's ridiculous you know especially in this in our pandemic world i find i'm doing right. 10 times the labor and i'm not trained to teach online that's like no. a very specific skill that you need to cultivate right. and I, now, like now especially i'm like i i'm, I'm not getting fucking paid to, to sit on zoom for 14 hours a day like i'm not yeah. fuck, fuck this yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, so could you recommend a way to learn more about this stuff, research this stuff? So yeah, I I think that if you're writing a sex worker character into a piece of fiction, and the best way to make sure that you're representing that correctly is to ask a sex worker to serve as like a sensitivity reader. Mm-hmm. To make sure that this is like actually legit and of course not all sex workers are of course not all sex workers are going to have the same experience but oh, um the stigma we face is pretty similar mm. so it's easy to identify these like stereotypes and easy to see where or i think you know like similarly like i'm jewish and if i i find that when i watch when I watch movies with anti-Semitic tropes in it, I'll be the only person in my like group of friends who picks up on them mm. because like, yeah, no one else is going to think like, Oh, that dude has like a, a hooked nose and like a, like a weird little beard and <laughs> like a pointy. Right. Whatever. Oh, the Gringotts goblins and the Harry Potter movies have a giant star of David on the floor. That's interesting. Or I think of like despicable me that that dude, whatever his name is, like that's the most anti-Semitic shit I've ever seen in my life. And like, huh. No one I've ever watched that with that agrees with me. <laughs> right, you don't pick it up if if you're just not a member of that group, and and it's so fucking common in Western literature traditionally. It's like you don't even notice it. Right, you don't realize it's happening. I saw a tweet a few weeks ago that was like, you know, I might fuck around later and create an Asian character named Cho Chang. Oh my god. <laughs> like. Uh, which you know um, me reading harry potter as like a white 17 year old or whatever didn't see that as racist but now i'm like good when you put it that way well shit (laughs) yeah 
Or wasn't eventually, didn't she create a Jewish wizard with like the most stereotypically... Oh, I'm... It was like Goldstein or something like that. Like, really? You did not think about this for longer than 12 seconds, did you? Like, you could... Come on. What a shitty person, J.K. Rowling. You're getting paid a lot of money for this. You could could spend more than 12 seconds thinking of a name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Oh, God. But yeah, no, I think... um, the best way to research that is is to, to talk to a sex worker. And, you know, we're, we're pretty readily available on, you know, mm-hmm. Twitter, for instance. Or, um, you know, there are memoirs by, by sex workers and, you know, films like Cam, for instance, we were talking about earlier. But the filmmaker, Issa, I want to say her last name is pronounced Mazzy, but I, that may be wrong. She also has a, a memoir called Cam Girl. Um, then there's Melissa Febos, and I probably butchering her name too, but her book Whipped Smart is about being a dominatrix. Hmm. Um, and she's now, I think she got her MFA. She's a writing teacher, I believe. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, Antonia Crane spent, um, it, when, yeah, reading from that perspective. And I would say the same with clients, but I don't know any client memoirs because I don't care. Right. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, there's... It's it's such a sex work is so you know shrouded in shame and stigma and criminality that it's really difficult to get a the a right reading on it or to to see you know the inner workings of it right unless you're there you know that, and it's you can't like tour a dungeon either like you are either working right. there or you are paying money there's no right. other reason right. to be there. Plus, I mean, the sort of people who become sex workers are often the kind of people who don't get to have this prominent social voice. I mean, women, queer people, and working class people. Yeah. The voice we're more likely to get is the client voice, because that's the person who has money. And generally, a lot of the people who set the culture are from the background of people who have money and power. Exactly. And I mean, you know, there are, of course, many sex workers who don't follow into that um i think you know there are some sex workers who make like six figures who like travel the world whatever who have written memoirs (laughs) but that's that's quite unusual right yeah despite it being one of the many stereotypes that you know it's interesting that we can have uh the assumption that people who do sex work have to be in living in poverty which in my experience is generally the case but also the Mm -hmm. assumption that sex work is like super lucrative right which like I mean not like not really <laughs> like, right. I mean sure a session a single session might pay well but that's assuming you know you have several sessions that's you know right. not accounting for the time you have to spend setting up or uh, screening clients or cleaning up after or getting you know supplies ready whatever right uh, training laundry <laughs> like, right just putting yeah. on your makeup do you know how long it takes to put on oh my makeup? god like an hour god I, like to do my home makeup yeah no that shit is like intense <laughs> yeah yeah you can't just slap on a little bit of eyeliner and be like that's eh, probably good yeah no no yeah <laughs> i mean i did have a few co-workers who would like legit just like walk into a session without like a, any makeup on them but they were like so stunningly like unbelievably beautiful right that it was fine <laughs> right yeah. uh, most of us are not that blessed nope <laughs> <laughs> all right now what are some what are what's some fiction that gets it right you know i actually i was thinking i couldn't really think of any 
fictional accounts that weren't hmm. somewhat like autobiographical, you know? Hmm. So I could think of, you know, Cam again. Yeah. Is an excellent example, but the, the filmmaker was a cam girl. Or I think of like, a, so I was also on Horror Vanguard talking about this Polish film called The Lore. And I've the, heard of that. That looks oh my God, fucking it, amazing. Oh, uh, it's so good. It is so fucking good. I, it's so good. Um, <laughs> the two, the two protagonists are strippers, and we again, like, there's no real question as like, why are they strippers? Like, they just are. Right. Oh, and for the record, listeners, in addition to being strippers, they are also cannibalistic mermaids. Oh yeah, who sing? It's amazing. It's- yeah, let's not bury the lead there. Yeah, no, watch it. It's it's incredible. It's such a good movie. I just watched it again last week. It sounds amazing. I just heard of it yesterday, and now I am desperate to watch it. Also because it sounds weirdly similar to a novella I wrote, kind of. I'm like, all right, I'm not the only person who's thinking of murderous pop star mermaids. Okay. And then you can go listen to my podcast about it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's another one that just, it's, when it's portrayed as just, there, there's no wa- question into the motives. Right. It's so easy to get hung up on motives. No, I had a tragic mermaid past. Yeah, it just ends up reproducing the mermaid incident when I was a tiny baby mermaid. My mermaid dad let me down. No. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh (laughs) Yeah. All right. So uh, let's wrap it up. How can our listeners find and support your work? So I'm rather active on Twitter. You can find me at Mistress Snow PhD. I do have a lot of writing in the works, but everything got kind of thrown off balance by the fucking coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I do have several pieces I'm working on. I'm not sure the you know timeline for when they'll be coming out because there's a plague. Right. But yeah. yeah. Follow me on Twitter, um, Cash App in bio. <laughs> Summer is approaching and uh, Mama's got bills to pay, but uh, right, <laughs> yeah, no, um, follow that's that's really where I'm most active. I have an Instagram that I like barely fucking use, so yeah, ignore that. But um, <laughs> yeah, Mistress Snow PhD, that's three S's in a row. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much again for coming by. That was really fun. Yeah, that was that was great. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you, audience, for listening. That's all for this episode. If you like what you heard, head on over to patreon.com slash writegood and subscribe. Patrons get early access to our regular episodes and a monthly bonus episode in which we focus on a notable work of fiction. And join us next time when we talk about the relationship between storyteller and audience. Until then, keep writing good. KittySneezes.com in color. <laughs> <laughs>